morning. First Church welcomes everybody that are gathered here in the, in the sanctuary this morning, along with those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. Thank you for joining us this morning at First Church. Before we start our service, I have several announcements. The adult Bible study group led by Aaron Rubal will resume today in the ministry center. Uh, we will be receiving new members in the church soon. If you're interested in becoming a member or have questions about membership, please talk to Pastor Joel. And ladies, you are invited to the IF gathering on March 4th and 5th. If you have any questions about that, you can see Allie Buckland or Tori Vertigan, our youth pastor, or call somebody in the church office. The details are in the bulletin and on our website. You can register online or in the church office. If you're on the list to make, to make if you're on the list to make meals for funerals, please check the clipboard in the information center to update your contact information. If there's other announcements in your bulletin. Please take the time to look them over. And now, those who are able, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship this morning? This morning is taken from Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know what the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Please remain standing. This morning we're going to be singing two praise songs. The first one is House of the Lord, and the second one is God So Loved. Surely 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. We have so much to rejoice about. seated. Now will the children come forward for the children's chat with Tori? Good morning. How are you? Good. Come on down, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, we have a few coming down from the balcony. How's everyone? Good. 
You guys have a good week at school? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Good. Do you anything fun? The next day is our 100th day of school. <gasps> Tomorrow's the 100th day? Yes. That's exciting. What are you bringing for the 100th day? Uh, actually, I already bought my presents. It's 100 out of these, Dad. Wow, cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, good morning. How many of you have ever had an x-ray? You ever had to have an x-ray? What did you have to have an x-ray on? You broke your collarbone. Okay. So what, what is an x-ray? What do they do? Yes, because sometimes we can't tell if something is wrong from the outside, right? You might break your arm but it might look totally fine. You just can't move it very well, right? And so an x-ray helps a doctor to see what's going on beneath the surface, right? To see what's going on inside our bodies. Because um, you can't always see that when you just look at us, right? Uh, you know, God kind of does the same thing for our hearts. There's a story in First Samuel 16, uh, and it's about how King David was chosen to be king. And so God decided to choose the new king for Israel, and he told the prophet Samuel to go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse, and God knew exactly who he wanted to pick. So Samuel, the prophet, listened to him, and he, he followed God over there, and Jesse brought seven sons out, and each of his sons were passed over. None of them were the ones that God wanted to be king. And all of these guys, they were handsome, they were strong, they probably would have been good leaders, but God didn't want them. And so after he passed all of them over, he said, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, yes, there's one more son. Who was that? It was David, King David. And what did David do? You guys know about David? A slingshot. Yeah, (laughs) yep. King David. And so King David came from the field and God said, that's the one that I want. And so Samuel anointed him with oil. And you know, David, he wasn't the oldest. He wasn't the tallest. He wasn't necessarily the strongest, but God chose him to be king because he had a good heart. He had a teachable heart. He had a heart that God knew that he could use um, to help lead other people. You know, can we always tell who people are by looking at them? Can you tell if someone is kind or loving or caring just by how they dress? No, you can't. We have to get to know people, right? And God does the same for us. He doesn't look what's on the outside. He looks on the inside because what's on the inside matters. So 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4 says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as like clothes or things like that, um, as such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You know, we spend a lot of time making sure that we have like cool haircuts, really cool clothes, all of those things, but those things, they don't matter to God. Our hearts matter to God. God wants our hearts and he wants our hearts to love him and love others, right? All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Help us to remember that you don't love us because we're the strongest or because of the clothes that we wear, or the hairstyles we have, Lord. You love us because of our hearts. God, I pray that our hearts would reflect you and that it would re- our hearts would reflect your love um, and, and the world around us, Lord. We love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tori. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. It's a time in our service when we collect the offering, and this morning's designated offering goes to support WBCL Radio. Um, I encourage you, if you're able to and feel led to give, to give towards that ministry. Um, It's a great opportunity for us to support ministries outside of our own um, in the work of the gospel and furthering the kingdom of God. So I want to invite the deacons to come forward at this time as the choir sings How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
Amen. You may be seated. At this time, I want to invite forward our new officers of the congregation for installation. You guys can come on right up here. We have two new deacons that we are um, installing today. We have Diane Peel and Zach Lagerman, and one new trustee, Brett Flutterjohn. I have a couple cheat sheets for you guys here. It's always good to have something to look at when you're standing up here and not all those people out there, right? Okay. So as we install them today, we just have a couple questions that we like to ask you guys. And then, of course, we want to be praying for you. But um, first of all, I just want to say thank you for your willingness to serve this congregation in these, in these capacities. We're so grateful for you and, and your faith and your love for the Lord and your love for this church and can't wait to see how God is going to be using each one of you in this in these new offices in these next few years. So there's a couple of questions here that, that we ask and then I'll be praying for you, inviting the church to be praying alongside you as well. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the inspired Word of God? Do you commit to align your life according to the Bible to the best of your ability and by the help of the Holy Spirit? And do you feel called by God to the office of deacon and trustee in order to serve God and edify the First Church of New Knoxville? And do you commit to fulfill the responsibilities of deacon and trustee as ordained in our, as, excuse me, as outlined in our Constitution? Praise God. Church family, I invite you to pray for these three individuals here as, as, with me as I pray for them, but also not just now and not just these three. There's 21 of you that serve on consistory in various capacities, our, de- our elders, our deacons, and our trustees, and these servants need your prayers. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way, of course. I mean that in a way to, of loving support for those that volunteer their time and their energy and their gifts to serve this church. These three are our new officers, but there's others that continue to serve faithfully, and we desire that you pray for them as well. So I invite you to join me as we pray for these three, but also keep them in your prayers and keep all of our uh, servant volunteer leadership in your prayers as they serve this church family. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for these three individuals and, and for all those that are serving on consistory in this upcoming term. We thank you for their willingness to serve. We ask, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you'd equip them with all, this, all your fruits of the spirit and, and your spiritual gifts, Lord, to, so that they may serve this church to the best of their ability with your help, Lord, and your guidance, Holy Spirit. We thank you for this church family and pray, Lord, for all those in, in these leadership positions, that they may serve you well and serve you faithfully with the time that you have allotted them. We thank you, Lord, um, and pray that as these three individuals start this new term, that that you would equip them, Lord. Um, I know sometimes it can be intimidating. Sometimes it can be um, uh, feel a bit lost at first. So I pray that your spirit would guide them, help them to settle in well, and of course, Lord, serve you faithfully all their years. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. All right. This time I want to invite you to pray with me once again as we lift up our prayers and concerns to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your love, which is poured out into our hearts through your Holy Spirit and has been demonstrated for us through Christ's death on the cross. Father God, we are not worthy of your love. We are not, we are not deserving of it, yet you give it to us anyways. And that is worth That is worthy of our praise and honor and worship. We thank you that you do care for us. That you have loved us with such a great love that it it transforms us into new creations, into sons and daughters of God. And I pray, Lord, that as we go about our lives, not just here on Sunday mornings, but but uh, at our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities, that you would fill us with your love so that we may then in turn love others. That we may be the light of the world and the salt of the earth in the places and the locations and the circumstances that you place us. Once again, we thank you for those that serve this church so faithfully, those in 
official positions like like the three that we just installed into uh, the office of, of deacon and trustee, but also, Lord, those who serve in unofficial capacities. May you bless and honor them as they give back to you, Moni. We ask, Lord, that you would help us all to find a place to serve. Lord, you call us to actively participate in your church. And so, Lord, help us all to find ways to give back to you and to to serve this church and community that you have placed us in. And as we do so, Lord, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit, all the fruits of the Spirit, all wisdom and knowledge that we need, Lord, to know you and to love you and to serve you better. Lord, we are in need of you, in need of your grace each moment and each day. And we think especially of those who have physical and material needs, some in need of healing, some in need of provision. Some, Lord, are carrying needs that we are not even aware of. And so we ask that you would provide exactly what is needed in those situations. Bring healing to broken bodies. Bring restoration to broken relationships. And Lord, we ask that you would use our circumstances for your glory and for our good, whatever they may be. And Lord, we don't want to just think and pray for those immediate needs that are right in front of our face. We also pray that you would work in our lives to bring us to maturity of faith, that you would grow us in our, in our knowledge of you and our love for you and our ability to serve you as well. Lord, use all of our circumstances to draw us to yourself. Lord, we do pray for those in authority as your word calls us to do. And, and today we, again, think of our consistory members and those that serve this church. We thank you for their servant leadership and ask for your continued guidance and direction in their lives as individuals and for us as a church family. We pray for those in authority over us in, in, a, in a secular way as well. We think of the president and Congress and the Supreme Court on a national level and other elected and appointed officials. May you grant them wisdom as they make decisions for our country. May those decisions be good and right and true and in line with your word. May you grant them a hunger and thirst after righteousness that they would be satisfied. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This time I want to invite forward Maria for Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence in your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are the daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thank you, Maria. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word. And as we gather around it now, may you uh, guide our hearts and minds into all truth. Holy Spirit, bring us, uh, bring us to you, Lord. Bring us, draw us to yourself, um, even now through the preaching of your word. Um, and Holy Spirit, we ask for you to give me words to speak this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Friday night, Allie and I had an opportunity to go and enjoy uh, a night out. Um, one of the blessings of having family close by once again is, is free babysitting. So that was a wonderful thing. And we got to go out down to Dayton and enjoy uh, the, the show Hamilton. Uh, if you guys have seen that the, the Broadway musical is down there uh, in, at Dayton for, I think, a week or so. Um, and this is our Christmas present to ourselves. We bought the tickets months and months ago and finally got to enjoy the show. And I don't know if you all are familiar with it. It's the story of Alexander Hamilton during, set during the Revolutionary War. And there's a bit of comedic relief in the show in the form of, of King George, right? So King George, at different points in the, in the play, steps out and sings almost like a, a ballad, right, to, uh, to the colonies. And the way that it's framed is almost as if King George is, uh, excuse me, framing the American Revolution as, as a dating relationship, right? So he's talking about the colonies breaking up with him in one way. And at one point in the first time he steps out, he says, uh, speaking of, of this relationship, he finally gets to the point, he says, I'll send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love, right? This, this idea that he's going to send armed forces in to prove how much he loves them, right? It's meant to be a humorous kind of uh, anecdote, but the reality is that some relationships operate that way, one side domineering and trying to control the other. Uh, and unfortunately, at times, scripture passages similar to the ones that we've read today, uh, have been used to support that perspective in relationships and marriage. But Scripture provides a model for how husbands and wives are called to love and support each other, how they're supposed to relate to one another. And it's very different than the perspective that King George gives in the show Hamilton. Now, what we want to do today, I want to, I want to give us a, a brief picture, and I mean brief because there's a lot that Scripture says, I want to give us a brief picture of what Scripture says about marriage as a whole, and then, and then zoom in on the specifics that Peter addresses here in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. And so first, we get the big picture of marriage from Scripture, and it really begins all the way back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, when God creates Adam and Eve, and he brings them together, and it says that the two become one flesh. That's where marriage starts in scripture is that image of Adam and Eve, man and woman coming together in a relationship. And that perspective is affirmed by Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 19, verse five, as he asked the question about divorce, it's Genesis chapter two, that Jesus references back to, to understand the foundation and ideal for what marriage is supposed to be. And so I know there's a lot of ways that we can kind of define it. But for today, I want to say that marriage is a man and woman being brought together in permanent covenant relationship before God. That's the ideal that scripture puts out for us beginning all the way back in Genesis 2 and affirmed by Jesus in Matthew 19. In fact, in Genesis 2, when God creates Adam, right, he says it's not good for man to be alone, right? And so he creates a helper suitable for him in the form of Eve, Right, so we are made for relationships. In a spiritual sense, a relationship with God. We are created to know him and love him. But in a, in a human sense, we're also created for relationships. example we're looking at here is marriage. Marriage is a picture then of Jesus' love for his church. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 5. In another passage where Paul, very similar to the one we look at today, but even more in-depth, Paul addresses this picture of marriage, beginning in chapter 5, verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then goes on to talk about wives and husbands and their roles and responsibilities to one another. But then in verse 32, he says this, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So you think, Paul, no, you were just talking about marriage. You were just talking about husbands and wives. What does that have to do with Christ in the church? Well, what Paul is trying to communicate to us is that the relationship between husband and wife is meant to reflect the love that God has for his church, the love that Christ has for us. 
That's the picture that we're supposed to get. And therefore, that's the kind of love that we're called to uh, have in our marriage relationships. It's supposed to reflect the love that God has for us in Christ. And so you get passages like 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians 5 and elsewhere that use language that maybe sometimes makes us uncomfortable, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but it's, it's language that is used to describe how husbands and wives are meant to relate to each other. And it and it's can be summed up with, with love and respect and mutual care for each other. Both Paul and, and Peter here talks about wives submitting to husbands. Paul in Ephesians 5 also talks about husbands sacrificially loving their, their wives. All right, and that's a call, a very, very important, very um, powerful call in and of itself as well. Let me ask you, husbands, many of you are probably, of course, are willing to die for your wives. But how many are you willing to live for them now, too? Right? Sacrifice isn't just for extreme situations. It's an everyday commitment to love and care for your spouse. And so what do these passages all tell us is the foundation of a good and healthy and strong marriage? It's mutual love and respect for the sake of Christ. Again, I want to read Ephesians 5.21 for you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Looking back at 1 Peter chapter 3, he says in verse 1, wives in the same way, submit to your husbands. And in verse 7, husbands in the same way, be considerate. What's in the same way mean? What's, what's he referencing there? Well, if you go back to what we talked about last week in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, he says, is the first time he uses the word submit. And he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. And then he goes on to say, in the same way, in the same way. So what's Peter trying to tell us? The way we treat our spouses, the way that we love and care for them, should be done in the same way and for the same reason that we submit to every human authority. It's for the Lord's sake. right? We love our wives as a way to honor God. We love our husbands as a way to honor God. right? And that is ultimately our motivation. Right, the roles right, between a husband and wife may look slightly different from culture to culture or from relationship to relationship, but the foundation of love and respect is what makes it work. So that's the first thing that we realize from the big picture idea of marriage is that it's instituted by God and is meant to be a picture of Jesus' love for his church. The second thing, and this is just as important for us to remember, is that Scripture's view of marriage recognizes that none of them, none of them are going to live up to the perfect standard that Scripture and that Christ holds for us. Yes, husbands and wives are called to love each other like God loves the church. That's what we're meant to reflect. That's what we're meant to demonstrate. But we are all going to fall short of it. Right? And I will stand up here and be the first one to tell you it's true. <laughs> right? We are all going to fall short. Husbands are going to fail. Wives are going to fail. And sometimes it's not anybody's fault why there's tension or strife or conflict in a relationship. Sometimes it's just the reality of living in a broken world and having to deal with that. But one of the things that I tell couples in premarital counseling is that marriage is two sinful people trying to live life together. Right? And when that's the case, there's going to be tension and conflict and strife. Right? Sin affects everything, including our relationships and including the relationships that we hold most dear. And so sin is, is a part of why marriages don't live up to that ideal standard that God places for us in Scripture. But I also believe that marriage in particular is the focus of the enemy's attacks. Right? If what we said about marriage is true... If it's, if it's instituted by God all the way back in creation, if it's meant to be the, the closest thing we have on this earth to a picture of God's love for his people, then why wouldn't the enemy try to attack it and try to destroy it and try to trip up 
husbands and wives as they seek to love and honor one another. Right? Marriages, I believe, are often in the enemy's crosshairs for his attacks because he'd like nothing more than to destroy marriages and to destroy the witness that they can be for God's love for us. And there's one more thing then that I want to, to remind us of before we get into the specifics of 1 Peter 3. And this actually does come right out of this passage. Again, as I mentioned before, sometimes people have used Scripture passages out of context and in twisted and manipulative ways to, to benefit themselves at the expense of others. And how some of these passages have been used is true for, for that in marriages, as well as other issues and in context as well. But one thing is important here to note in First Peter chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. In verse 7, husbands, in the same way, consider as you live with your wives. Right? What Peter is talking about here, what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 5, is specifically how husbands and wives are supposed to relate to each other. Not a general principle for how all men and all women are supposed to relate to each other. Right? They're talking specifically here about marriage, not a general rule that can be applied to every male-female relationship, whether it's in the workplace or the community or whatnot. They're specifically talking here about marriage. And we know that because the Greek word there uh, for your own husband, the word for own is idios. Now, let me be very clear in how I say that's idios, not idiot, right? Um, is not saying, you know, submit to your idiot husband, although some of you may argue otherwise. Idios means your own. So again, this is a specific call to a specific relationship between a husband and wife, not a general principle to uh, extrapolate and apply to all male and female relationships or interactions. So with that in mind, let's take a look. I think there's three kind of principles that we can pull out of here that help us understand what Peter's trying to get at here when he's speaking to husbands and wives. Again, this isn't everything that could be said about marriages, but they are specific situations that Peter is addressing for the people that he's writing to. Uh, and so we're going to take a look at that here. So the first thing is the, um, is the implications, I guess you can say, of a marriage where the partners are unequally yoked. He's specifically talking about Wives, believing wives with unbelieving husbands, right? Talks about submitting to them that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, right? So Peter here is specifically addressing why believing wives with unbelieving husbands, which was most likely a lot of the people in that church that he was writing to. Again, there were probably a lot of believing wives and unbelieving husbands, and they were wondering what to do and how to interact with them. Now, ideally, believers, you know, should not marry unbelievers. We see that in passages like 2 Corinthians 6.14, where, where Paul says that do not be yoked together with unbelievers. But some women were converted after they were married, and some maybe didn't have a choice in who they would marry. And so they're often the case just like it is today that you have one spouse who's a believer and one spouse who is not. And just like in Peter's day, it tends to be that in a lot of cases, it is the wife who is a believer and the husband who is not. When I was working at my last church in Huntington, Ohio, uh, the pastor that I was serving with had started there all the way back in 1980. He had served the church for a total of 35 years before he retired. And he said when he started at that church in Huntington, you could shoot and this is his words, shoot a cannonball across that sanctuary and the likelihood of hitting an adult male was slim to none. There are a lot of wives, there are a lot of moms, there are a lot of children, but adult males were hard to find. And that tends to still be true in many churches today. But believing spouses, Peter says here, can have a great spiritual impact on their unbelieving spouse. He says here that, that they can be won over right, by, their, by their behavior, by their character, by their actions. The character and actions of a believing wife can have a positive gospel impact on their husband. 
Paul addresses a similar issue in 1 Corinthians 7, and he says, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Right? It's their, their behavior their, can have a positive impact on the unbeliever. So let me ask you, and I, I'm not presuming what the status of your relationship is here, because this question applies to, to all marriages in this situation, because we can all have a positive impact on our spouse. Does your behavior, does your life, whether you're husband or wife, does it point people to Christ? Not just in the things that you do, but how and why you do them. Are you modeling Christ-like love for your spouse? And in doing so, are they, are, are they being influenced in a positive way through your behavior? You see, it says in, in, verse, in verse 2 that they see, they observe. And it's that same idea that Peter talked about all the way back in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. That to live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good works, right, and glorify God and the same way, the same thing can happen in a marriage relationship. There's an interesting principle at work here, right? Marriage is likely the closest, most intimate relationship, humanly speaking, that you will experience, right? And you can fool others, maybe your coworkers, maybe your neighbors, maybe even your kids, right? But you're not going to fool your spouse. They will see you in your walk with Jesus for what it is. And it can either have a positive impact or not. There's an old saying, an old idea that uh, women marry a man hoping to change them. Right? Men often marry a woman hoping that she will never change. But the reality is that only the Holy Spirit can change a person's heart. We can't do it, right? We can't force our spouse to believe. But God may use you as a tool along the way. Right, as a positive influence along the way to help bring about that change that he desires. So the spouse has an opportunity to have a positive impact on the spiritual life of their spouse. The second thing we learn here is that we should value character more than outward appearance. A person's worth and value is not based on external appearances, Peter here mentions braided hair, gold jewelry, fine clothes. Obviously, those are culturally specific things that Peter is referencing here. You know, if he was writing to 21st century America, he might list different characteristics or different ways that we focus on our outward appearance. But the principle is still true. It's not about what you put on on the outside because external beauty is not the most important thing. In fact, it's only temporary. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord should be praised. Right? Peter isn't opposing jewelry or, or whatnot entirely, but rather what he's doing is urging that we focus on the beauty of the heart, right? what's on the inside of a person rather than what's on the outside. We should value character over appearance. Right? He goes on to say that true beauty is from the inside. It flows from the heart, from the inner self. He literally says the hidden person of the heart is what God values most. And he says it's imperishable, right? It doesn't spoil or fade with time. It's not changed out like hairstyles or jewelry can be. If you ever you know, want to have fun, take out an old yearbook, right? And check out the, the kind of hairstyles and clothing choices that people made, um, Kids, do that with your parents. It's really fun, right? Things like that change over time. Expectations of beauty change over time. We change over time. But gentleness, meekness, those things are imperishable. The word gentle there is actually the word meek, right? And that's a word that Jesus uses to describe himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So the same word that Peter is using to describe women here is the same word that Jesus uses to describe himself, meekness, gentleness. It's a quiet strength. We don't need to be weak, right? Jesus was anything but weak. But Peter emphasizes here again, 
It's not the external that matters. It's the inner self. That's what's valuable in God's sight. The world puts value in external things and tries desperately to hold on to them. But God values a good and pure heart. And Tori gave us a great example from Scripture during the children's chat of of that being played out in David, right? In that moment in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at what people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So let me ask you this. Do you value the same things that God values? Peter here makes it pretty clear. It's not the outward appearance. It's not external things that are of first importance, but it's the inner quality of a person. Do you value what God values in yourself, in your spouse or potential spouses? Now let me challenge you this. Do you want to be a better spouse? Do you want to be a better husband or better wife? Then you need to make sure you're taking care of yourself here, right, on the inside, in your heart. You need to make sure that you are seeking Christ, seeking to love Him and and serve Him. And, And when you do that, then you'll be a better spouse. And you can help your spouse, your husband, your wife as well. Not only model it for them, but encourage them and challenge them to focus on what's really important in yourself and in one another. And finally, the last thing we, last principle we see here is that in the marriage relationship, Peter says that there are different roles, but they are all equal in Christ. Peter here mentions, as he's speaking to husbands, mentions wives as weaker vessels. Now, there's a whole lot of interpretive work that can be done there. Um, there's a lot of different perspectives that you can find if you're reading study Bibles or commentaries. Uh, but I think it's helpful to remember the historical context that Peter is speaking into here. The, um, the idea of being a weaker vessel could, could allude to a lot of things, but it also is helpful to remember that women in that time and in that culture were socially weaker and more vulnerable. Right? Women had few, if any, rights in that culture. And so in a very real sense, women needed men, whether it was their husband or their fathers or maybe even their brothers in extenuating circumstances. They needed those individuals to watch over them and make sure that they were provided for. Because without that, many women were taken advantage of and abused. So in one sense, it's talking about the social setting Um, They may also refer to physical weakness, right? And that's a general rule that there are always exceptions to. You know, I would lose a game of basketball 10 times out of 10 to Diana Taurasi. No doubt about it. I don't even want to know what it's like to, you know, return a serve on the tennis court from one of the Williams sisters, right? Like there is no doubt that there are some women who are physically stronger and physically more capable than the average man. And there are some men um, who are, weaker than the average woman. There's no doubt about that. But the general rule that Peter referenced here still applies. There are differences physically, right, between men and women that are generally true. And so while he acknowledges those differences, he does say that we are called to treat our wives with respect, show them honor, assign their honor. Women are not to be domineered. They are to be treasured, valued, respected, and honored. And so while men and women are created with physical differences, right, they are not, you know, the same or interchangeable. And again, looking back to Genesis 2, right, we see that, that men and women are created equally in the image of God, and yet there are differences. In Genesis 2, Adam marvels at their sameness, not their differences, right? Eve is the only thing in all of creation that is different from him, yet also very much the same, And Adam should know he had just spent all that time naming the other animals and other aspects of creation. Yet male and female are distinct creations in the image of God. And we see that in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So men and women are called to different, they are differences and they're called to different roles, but they are called to love and respect each other the same. And remember passages like Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3 here. Husbands are called to lead wives with sacrificial love. Wives are called to lovingly respect husbands' leadership. But both are called to do that for the sake of Christ as a way to honor God. 
And so whatever that looks like, practically speaking, in your marriage, right, it's up for you and your spouse to figure that out, right? Some men are better that, or some women are better at finances than their husbands, and some men are better cooks than their wives. And there's nothing wrong with those roles. Those are stereotypical roles that we often apply to those relationships. But whatever that looks like, practically speaking, to you, we need to remember this, right? It's much easier for a wife to submit and respect her husband when he loves her sacrificially. And it's a lot easier for a husband to love and respect and lead his wife sacrificially when she respects and submits to his leadership. Right? Do you see where I'm going with this? Right? It's, it's not one or the other. It's not wives and husbands pitted against each other to see who ends up on top and in charge. But it's about loving and respecting each other for the sake of Christ. Does that make sense? It's not about one versus the other, but it's about together loving and respecting each other in such a way that God's love is made manifest in that relationship. That we can see and experience God's love in a human relationship that's closest, that, that, that Scripture says is meant to reflect and mirror the, relationship, the love that God has for us. And so don't wait around Right? So, so thinking of your own relationship here, don't wait around for your spouse to make the first move. Right? Love and respect each other no matter what because it's not about them deserving it or earning it. It's about doing it in a way to honor God. Take that first step. Love and respect and honor and serve and care for your spouse for the sake of Christ. And you'll find that your relationship will improve. You'll be able to experience that more for yourself. So while there's different roles, we see that men and women are the same, though, when it comes to our standing before Christ. Peter says that men and women are both co-heirs to the grace of life. Right? A husband is not dependent on his wife for salvation. Neither is a wife dependent on her husband for salvation. Right? They are co-heirs. There's no difference between men and women when it comes to to their relationship with God when it comes to their standing and access to God's grace and forgiveness. They're equal in value and standing before God as his children. And although Peter acknowledges maybe the physical or social differences between men and women, they are the same when it comes to salvation in Christ. There's one more thing I want to I emphasize for us again, right? The marriage relationship is the greatest opportunity, humanly speaking, for us to put into practice what we believe about God, right? Whether we're talking about marriage or anything else that Scripture talks about, what we believe should influence and impact how we live, right? And so marriage, because it is the relationship that we are closest to, that is most intimate, most vulnerable relationship we have, it is a greatest opportunity for us to put into practice what we believe about God. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself, while our spouse is our first neighbor on the list. Right? We have the opportunity to give and receive Christ-like love and grace and forgiveness and edification in that relationship in a way that we won't experience in other relationships. And marriage is often one of the ways that God sanctifies us. Proverbs 27, 17 reminds us that as iron sharpens iron, so when one man sharpens another, right? That relationship you have with your spouse is going to force you to grow. It's going to force you to uh, be more like Christ, to experience and to give God's love and forgiveness and grace in ways that other relationships aren't. So God will use that to sanctify you. And because of that, we need to learn to honor one another, love one another, care for one another, and we do all of it for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how your word holds marriage in such high esteem. And the reason for that is because it is a reflection of the love that you have for us in Christ. And Lord, while all of our marriages fall short of that ideal, 
We ask that you would work in us to help us experience and know that kind of love within that relationship. I pray that you would equip and empower husbands and wives to love and honor and respect and to serve one another for your glory, Lord. And when we do that, Lord, may you draw, may you make to yourself at the same time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service today, we're going to be singing a, another familiar song, um, one that we've done before. It's called The Blessing. The words are in your bulletin, and I do invite you to stand as we sing this in closing together. But this is not just a song for us to sing this morning. It's a prayer. So as we close our service, we want to offer this up together as a prayer to God of blessing over our marriages and those relationships and our families. May God bless and honor and sustain us in our marriages.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace. Come late.